Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. In these gurus editions, we'll feature strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, recovery scientists, and other performance specialists who help athletes to be their best. Today, we're talking with Jim McCrossin, who has been the athletic trainer and strength and conditioning coach for the National Hockey League's Philadelphia Flyers for over two decades. McCrossin is widely considered to be one of the best in the business. His job is to build stronger, faster, and more durable athletes and to treat and rehab the injuries that do occur to get his players back on the ice as quickly as possible. In order to optimize his own outcome from a recent cancer diagnosis, Jim has personally switched to an alkaline diet, which is anti-inflammatory, eliminates processed foods, and focuses heavily on fresh fruits and vegetables, which he says, frankly, is a good way for any of us to eat. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? I'm doing good, Lindsay. How are you doing? I am just peachy. Where are you? (laughs) I'm actually in my office at the Flyers Practice Facility right in Voorhees, New Jersey. Cool. So full disclosure for everybody who listens to this podcast, I've known Jim for like 20 years, which is really, really scary. (laughs) I was, I was a mere whippersnapper when I first met Jim, I just started working for ESPN magazine. I was 21 years old. So that is 22 years ago. Now, many surgeries later, here we are. Okay. (laughs) So Jim, you've been with the Flyers for over 20 years as well. You're both an athletic trainer and a strength and conditioning coach. Tell us about just your background, how you got to this point, basically doing two jobs. It's a long story, but I'll... <laughs> back in 1982, I started working with a gentleman by the name of Pat Croce. And Pat was the first strength coach, physical therapist in the NHL. And I was with the Philadelphia Flyers. And as we worked in a small little community hospital, Pat and I and a couple other gentlemen, and we left in 1984 and we created the largest privately owned PT company in the country. And with all that, with Pat going out, Pat was a great salesman. Pat was a great therapist, but he was out building business and we morphed into other responsibilities. Mine was day-to-day operations of all sports physical therapists, but also assisting with the Philadelphia Flyers. When we sold the company back in 1993, we had a three-year earn out, which we hit in uh, six months, and I didn't want to stay with big business. I just didn't like the direction I was going, and I was fortunate enough from 82 to 93 to make a lot of friends, and one of them, Bob Clark, Paul Holmgren, and I had a one-year, 100-mile non-compete, so I went up to Hartford with the Whalers for Paul Holmgren. And knowing that I would be hopefully coming back to Philadelphia one day soon. And I was blessed. I came back the following year and I've been here ever since. Were you you an athlete yourself, Jim? Yeah, I was an athlete. But like many athletes, many, many, many years ago, I injured my left knee. I competed in the AAU in the Olympic lifts. I did clean and jerk and snatch. But I also played hockey, football, baseball. But what happened was that... Back in February, I'm going to date myself, 1976, it was form day. Every Sunday we did forms because we competed heavily. And I just won the Mid-Atlantic Regional gold medal and I was heading up to New England. And we were doing form days. And my, my strength coach said, why don't you switch from the split snatch to the squat snatch? Because you got good, strong legs. Well, I hit the wrong way. And my knee went like this. Oh, no. 
My doctor was great. Unfortunately, the techniques back in 1976 weren't like they were today. And so I figured, well, you know what? If you can't be one, let's take care of them. And that's what got me into where I am. I, you know, I, I met a therapist there that kind of gave rubbed me the wrong way because she said that, that I would never skate again and that I would always walk with a limp. And all I'm going to do is teach you how to go up three stairs and down three stairs. And I did exactly what you did. I shook my head. Mm-hmm. And I can remember, and I'll tell a little bit of this inside story, that I was crying in my bed because I thought to myself, my God, this is it. It's over. And I can, uh, my grandmom, who was as tough as nails, came in and she said, James, what are you crying about? And I said, well, this is what's going on. She said, you can look at it two ways. You can either do something about it and be a man and, you know, be that type of person who would never tell somebody they would never do something again, or you can continue to cry. And if you do that, I'm going to leave. And, you know, I spent 13 days in the hospital and I, I was <laughs> gasping for anybody to come in and visit. So I decided to, at that point to get into physical rehabilitation. And I've never regretted a day. You've been through it. You've been injured. And I do believe that the higher being, wherever you believe in, always there's a purpose and there's a plan. And the purpose and the plan was for me to be here, what I'm doing and helping people. I'm a caregiver. And um, that's, I love what I do. I've been doing it and I'm planning on continuing to do it. And uh, I love every aspect about working with the NHL. It's great. And the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm assuming that that knee surgery that you had in 1976, they probably opened you up all the way, huh? Yeah, there was a very long scar. And what really troubled me the most is, is that when they put you in that cast and they take you, finally take you out, your upper leg is about as big as your forearm. Um, Like, Oh my God in heaven, like what's going to happen now. And thank goodness. My strength coach, he was on the street. He was an alternate for the 1968 Olympics, but he got the Southeast Asia pact, meaning that he got a one-way ticket to Vietnam. And so we lost him for a couple of years because he did two tours of duty. When he came back, he gathered everybody on the street and he said, who wants to get bigger, stronger, and quicker? And of course, everybody wants to do it because we're all playing different sports, every kid in the neighborhood. So we all pitched in. We bought Olympic weightlifting sets and he taught us the correct way of lifting. And uh, But yeah, the techniques back then don't hold a candle to what they're doing today. And even rehab. I mean, when I got into rehabilitation, uh, when I got done school, we got wise. We cut portals in uh, in the cast and we're able to put stem patches so we could use Russian stem to help keep our muscle growth somewhat. Mm-hmm. All the techniques, you know, they get you rehabbing the next day. You know, you, yeah. It's just so amazing when you think about it. My dad had a whole bunch of knee surgeries in the 70s, had both knees opened completely up. Now there's nothing they can't fix in a knee barring a complete replacement that they can't do through three tiny holes. And nobody casts anything because they know that motion is really a key to healing. You've got to be able to get the good stuff in, the bad stuff out. It prevents swelling. It prevents atrophy. And that's really, I mean, you're talking 40 years, but it really has changed so Oh, so much when you think about where you started and where we are now. 100%. 100%. And everybody in the audience listen to you because you know exactly what they're speaking about. Motion is critical. If mm-hmm. you get your motion back, you're not going to get your strength back. And if you don't get your strength back, you're not getting your stability back. And if you don't get those back, you're not going back to play. I don't care if you're a weekend warrior or professional athlete, you're not going back to play. It's so interesting. So 
you are specifically in hockey now for yes. over two decades and hockey itself is a very unique sport. It's much more lateral than most sports. Skating is side to side rather than front to back, like running guys typically play 45 second shifts, which is a funny amount of time in the sports world. It's not endurance, but it's right. longer than the burst that football players and baseball players do. What are the unique challenges of training hockey players? Get them out of their old mindset because many athletes, just not hockey players, train the wrong way. And they go into what we call compensatory patterns. And these compensatory patterns are going to lead to an injury. And it's no different than rehabilitation is that you can be a great surgeon, do a great surgery. You can be a great physical therapist and do great rehab. But when they get out and they go back into their lifestyles and their training regimes, they're going to go back into those same old ways. So it's really a paradigm shift for a lot of the players on how to train properly. Now that's getting better because throughout the country, well, throughout North America, throughout the world, people are training better because there's better techniques. There's better education out there. More and more people just aren't your weekend degree holders. More and more people are getting four or five, six-year degrees in exercise physiology, and they're learning the proper way. So it's it's making it easier on people like myself. So for hockey players, you know, they do a considerable amount of on ice training because they have skills they obviously have to practice. But what is, in your mind, a proper training program for hockey players? They're in the weight room, I'm assuming they're doing some kind of dry lands. How has that stuff changed? I'm a big believer now in the posterior chain. You think about it, and for those that don't know what the posterior chain is, it's, it's the muscles in the back, the glutes, the hamstrings. And now people say the hamstrings, like, well, they really don't use those much in hockey, but in sport, many sports do. But for us, our big power muscles come from really at the tip of our knees to our nipples in that range. It's through that whole core. And But we want to make sure that their posterior chain is strong. If you front end load and strengthen up your, uh, your the muscles of the front, okay, your big pecs and everything like that, you don't need to be big to play our sport anymore. It's speed. Like you said, it's speed. It's quickness. It's those five-second interval sprints, boom, 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 like little bugs skating across the pond, right? That's what you want. You want that speed, the maneuverability. But you also need to be strong in the places that you need to be strong in. And one of the things people neglect because we still have an egotistic mind is when you look in a mirror, I want to look good because you know what? Summertime, I'm a guy and I'm going to the beach at some point and I got to look ripped. And being ripped up front doesn't mean you're strong in the back. And that's what we're still seeing. We're still seeing a lot of athletes with weak glutes, weak glute minimuses, weak glute max. And that's not what you want because then that just exasperates your anterior pelvic tilt. So you see a lot of hockey players walk around like almost like a sway back, like Mm -hmm. they're sparks like that. Like Donald Duck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But what does that do? Because go into a lot of detail, but we're finding, we're doing a lot of research on hips. We know that our hips form 13, okay? But now more and more kids aren't playing multiple sports. So these hips, you're skating 364 days a year, right? And they're out there skating, skating, skating. We know that we're seeing kids now at the age of Well, when we get them 18, but our studies go back to the age of 13 because we're doing soccer players too, that the kids' hips are forming and they're starting to develop what they call FAI. Okay, you're familiar with it. Femoral acetabular impingement or a bad hip. And then, you know what? And the increase of that anterior pelvic tilt 
that's translating this hip out more anterior. So if you've got a big bony block, it's going to cause it to be angry. What we're trying to do is prolong the lives of our players, not shorten them, not going out and getting surgeries when we can correct them through proper exercise. Now, granted, there's going to be times that you have to do surgery because the number one injury that takes players out of the game, doesn't matter if it's he, she, or whatever game you're playing, is arthritic changes with inside that joint, right? And that's when you start to lose that chondral cartilage. That's the cartilage that covers the bone. Once that starts to wear away, right, you're going to get grade one, grade two, grade three arthritic changes. And that means that you're going to be sore. You won't be able to play the same way. You're going to be predisposed to injury. And then your value with the team is going down. And our whole thing is that if we draft you at the age of 18, I want to keep you to at least 38. Then I've done my job. If I can keep you in the league for 20 years, you've been very successful. It's so interesting because I don't think the general public thinks about people having bad hips until they get to be older. Now we know in hockey that a lot of those chronic groin strains guys used to have are actually hip injuries. I am a woman. I played hockey with boys my whole life and I had a FAI, femoral as a tabular impingement, had to have hip surgery when I was 30 years old and which is also not very old. But strength and conditioning also wasn't what it was when I was a kid, which is like 25 years ago now. It wasn't what it is now. And now they're training a lot of across sports, this posterior chain. We're looking at all these hamstring injuries that are happening in Major League Baseball right now. You might use those big muscles in the front to get going down the baseline, but it's the back of your body that slows you down. You're not going to run forever, right? (laughs) You're right, Lindsay. It's, It's a balance. And it's a balance. And I'm a big believer, too, that when you are training, that if you listen, there was a physiotherapist from Czech Republic. His name was Yanda. He came out with the fascial planes that you just don't rehab. If you have an ACL on the left side, you've got to look at your shoulder on the right side because we as humans move in multi different planes and as our left legs moving our right arms moving and he believed and i do believe in this that through fascia we're connected and tom myers not to be confused with bill myers here in philly but tom myers the anatomist here in in the states is really taking the anatomy trains or the anatomy planes to the next level and i think as athletes you just don't rehab that way you've got to train that way because like you said one part's doing one thing the other arm may be doing something else. So at some point, you've got to train the body as a whole. It's really interesting. I actually did a story on fascia and with Myers and Bob Parisi and a bunch of uh, scientists in Europe for Men's Health Magazine just a few months ago. And for those who don't know, your fascia is basically like an internal Spider-Man suit that's under your skin, above your muscle, all through your whole body. And if you can train the fascia, it trains that like innate springy athletic ability that we all want kind of makes you feel like a a superhero, but it's a lot of diagonal, rotational, twisting, bouncing, things that you think of that athletes all naturally do, but they don't necessarily train. It is very interesting. (laughs) It's very interesting, very complex that how we're made up. So how does a normal person who doesn't have access to someone like Jim McCrossin train their posterior chain and train their fascia? (laughs) It's not really training their fascia, but that's, you're right. But how, what I would recommend is that there's, there's a lot of great books on it, the, the internet. And what I would do is ask a physical therapist, 
and ask a, an athletic trainer, ask your strength coach. And if they pause and say, I really don't know, but this is what I would do. Don't take the pause. A real good therapist, a real good athletic trainer would right off the top of the head say, this is what I need you to do. These are the exercises. These are three exercises or four exercises that I'd like you to start with. But it all comes through a proper evaluation. Don't go training muscles. Uh, and you go through a proper evaluation. You get evaluated. You say, okay, this group is weak. This group is strong. A perfect example, the glute medius. We have three different fibers that go into the glute med. You have the anterior fiber, the middle fiber, and the posterior fiber. You don't train the anterior and middle fibers like you do the posterior fiber. The posterior fiber is the most probably one of the most important fibers in your body because every time you walk, every time you run, every time you skate, that muscle has to fire and it fires around the femoral head in the acetabulum, right? The hip joint to create stability. Nobody goes to the gym and say, I'm going to work out the posterior fiber of my glute meat. <laughs> that's one of the most critical ones you can do. You know, it's just like, your abdominals, like how many people go and work out the transverse abdominus? Well, nobody really knows. The average Jane and John Doe don't know how to check it out. That's why I'm saying it all comes through a proper evaluation. And once you get a proper evaluation, you know what muscles to train because they'll be able to direct you right to a good source. So they'll be able to send you video. And that's what I like. I'm a very visual type of learner that if I'm looking at it, yeah, man, okay, it clicks in good. I can, I can do this one. If you have 25 guys on a hockey team, you have 25 individualized training programs? Okay, that's a great question, all right? So we have what we call performance people that work with our guys in terms of strengthening. It's the medical staff that'll give them their programs to fine-tune their bodies to get them out of compensatory patterns. There's some exercises that everybody can do. There's other exercises that are meant for you, me, whoever it may be. And that's when they come in, the players know it goes to their phone. So every morning they know exactly what they have to do. And again, we're not babysitters here, but we're here to help supervise and help make sure that they're doing it right. But so, yes, to, to answer your question, there may be 25 different sets of programs or 25 different uh, programs for 25 different individuals because they all may have or compensatory patterns. However, when you come to the strength side of the performance side, they all may be saying, okay, this is what we're going to do today. This is during dry land. We're going to hit this muscle group and we want you to do what Jimmy or Sal set you up to do too. Gotcha. Sense? Yeah, for sure. Are there exercises that you think everyone should do, be them a professional athlete or a normal person that exercises that hit movement patterns that you think every human should be concerned with? I believe the glute max, the glute complex is one of the most neglected muscle groups because nobody really likes to do their glutes. And if I'm going to date myself because I'm much older than you, but back in 1984, the number one video was what? I know. Okay. It was Jane Fonda's workout. <laughs> now, Say which one about Jane Fonda. I'm not here to talk about her, but I'll talk about her video because she ripped off the physical therapy world when she came up with her glute exercises, right? And it's just, it's three-way glute bridges that you can be doing on the floor while you're watching TV, right? The glutes are the major supporter of the low back, right? I hate to say this, America, but we're out of shape, right? <laughs> For every pound up front, it's 10 pounds of extra stress on your low back. So if you look down and you can see your belly, something's not right. 
right? Or if you can't see your toes, something's not right. But you have to strengthen up your glute max because that's a major supporter of your low back. It's also a major hip extensor when you're walking, which everybody should be doing because I think Hippocrates said over 2,000 years ago that walking is the best form of exercise. And to this date, nobody's ever disputed the man. Still great exercise. But I would say that you should be able to work your glutes, your glute complex when you're watching TV, get down on the floor during commercials, just knock out a set of each. It's perfect. And you will feel the difference. You'll feel stronger because it's going to keep you more upright. I think too many people nowadays between phones like this and just the way we walk and slouch over posture means so much to good health. So. And, and that it's so interesting too, because I think everybody on the planet deals with some sort of back pain and they yeah. always think that it comes from their back, but really the glutes and the hips and the hamstrings contribute so much to lower back pain that, that uh, people don't even think about it. No, hundred percent. It's really crazy. How many times a week do you have your hockey players in the gym? Great question. Depends on our schedule. You know, some t- weeks it's chaotic. Some weeks we will play one or two games and you have like four days off and that four days will work out twice. The biggest thing is, is that we know it's going to set in, right? You know, that a certain amount of deconditioning from the start of the season to the end of the season is going to set in. We just don't want to go in like this, right? If it's going to be gradual, we're going to be able to work with it. We have two weeks now or a little bit over two weeks in February off that we can work on it. And that's going to give us a big boost going into the playoff run. So to answer your question, we, we'd like to get in at least twice a week. And if need be, we do it after a game because then we may, Coach uh, Vigneault may say, okay, tomorrow's a day off. So we may work out after the game, have the next day off recovery, come back, good practice, play again. So this is all in addition, by the way, everyone listening to all the skating that these guys are doing, they have morning skates on the days of games. So they skate a little bit in the morning when they have their game at nighttime, and then they have practice on the days in between games. And then this would be in the gym in addition to all the time that they're already spending on the ice. Obviously, most normal people don't work out quite as much as your your, uh, (laughs) hockey players do. What would you tell a normal person who has like 20 minutes on a super busy day, what kind of workout should you be doing if you only have 20 minutes? I like body weight exercises. You know, you don't have to go out and get all these fancy weights. You know, you can do squats, push-ups, dips off a bench and do that. You can do burpees. Something people neglect, jump jacks. One of the jumping jacks are been around for eons. They've been since I was in uh, gym class when I was a kid, but they're a great form of exercise. So not only are you working your muscles, but you're working your cardiovascular system too. And if I got 20 minutes, I'm going to get the biggest bang for my buck. So I'm going to set up a little circuit. I'm going to hit this bump, 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 bump. So I'm hitting all my major muscle groups. Yeah. You mentioned before guys, the coach might say tomorrow's an off day, a recovery day. This is something that has changed tremendously, even just over the last few years, never mind since you first started recovery and warmups used to be a guy might stretch a little bit before he got on the ice. He might sit in an ice bath afterwards. And that was basically it. Nowadays we have infrared saunas and cryo chambers and foam rollers and stim and ultrasound and massage guns and everything under the sun. How much has this recovery science changed since you started? And what are the modalities that are new that you really like? That's you named a lot of them. <laughs> you might not like all of those though. Yeah, 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 yeah. You named you named a lot of them. I mean, I'm a big believer that when players go home between the recovery boots, 
things that they can do. Um, I'm a big believer in cold tubs afterwards. We did a study, what was the best way to recover after a game? And it was doing nothing. It was like a lot of players, they like to sneak out and now they can. Or pedaling the bike at 75% of their anaerobic threshold heart rate. And everybody gets their heart rates because we test everything. And we know more about our players than they know about themselves when it comes to it. Ice tubs, and they just did a big study on ice submersion and being able to go full ice submersion and how quickly it recovers you more than the cryo boots. And I'm talking going under. So you're, you're staying in the cold tub up to your neck. Then you'll go under for 20 seconds. And that's tough as nails. Mm-hmm. Then back up and you do that three times, three times in a minute for five minutes. And, but they're finding out now your better recovery, your neuromuscular systems starting to calm down. Everything's starting to come down to where it should be. And that's what we're looking for because what we're looking for too is that our boys, if you ask a lot of athletes, doesn't matter if it's hockey, whatever, after a game, you're so hyped up, especially, you know, baseball, you win it in the ninth inning for us, you know, that you, you win it in overtime. A lot of our boys, the game will be done at 10, 15 in that range maybe even earlier, they don't get to bed till three o'clock. So we've, we've actually moved our practices back to give them eight hours of sleep. So we may not practice till noon the next day. So I think sleep is critical. What did somebody once write? Sleep is a powerful weapon. Use it. Mm-hmm. it is a powerful weapon. But you know what, what happens is that we're so enamored with our phones, texting our buds, and all of a sudden you've got that blue light and you can't get to bed because your brain's overstimulated. So we've actually gone out and gotten our players the blue light glasses so they can actually, if they want to go on their phones or computers, they can do that. Now, too, they, I mean, they're kids. They like to play the video games just like my son Luke likes to play, right? So they're up at all hours of the night playing video games. But you ask the question, like, what do I like? I think a proper recovery starts with proper nutrition right after the game. It's that 30, 60 minutes range that within 30 minutes, you got to get some type of carbohydrates into you. And the best form is liquid. And because you've got to replenish the glycogen that's been used to power those muscles. Then you have to get some type of protein into you. And that can come in any form, right? So a lot of our guys will make up like, well, our performance team will make up like smoothies, carbohydrates slash protein drinks, but specifically for them, because your protein needs and carbohydrate needs are going to be different than mine. So everything's a little bit different. And for those people that don't have the performance guys making it up for them, one of the best things you could do is chocolate milk. I mean, you think about it, chocolate milk is, and you don't have to go to the high, like the the whole milk, you can go to 2%, but chocolate milk is one of the best ways you can recover. And I, you know, it's funny because I tell the kids that we lecture to, they say, well, what, what can I do after a game? They're like chocolate milk. Yeah, man, I love chocolate milk. Well, grab a chocolate milk Mm -hmm. instead of grabbing a soda, get into good habits. But I think nutrition is the key to a healthy recovery then you could do what works best for you because everybody's a little different up here. And I'm pointing at my head is that some people like biking because they feel that that 12 minute recovery ride helps them immensely. Then they can stretch out, foam roll out. I'd like them to see them to go home and do that. And they say, well, you know, it's, I'm going to get cold. A lot of our guys live right here in the city of Philadelphia, right? They don't have to go to Jersey where we practice. They're home in five minutes and, you know, get home, talk to your wife, talk to your girlfriend or just chill and relax because 
there's too much stimuli going on. And you've been in locker rooms. It's too much stimuli going on there. And, you know, that you've got to allow, allow this to just kind of chill out. It's so funny that you mentioned the chocolate milk. I just said this to a cousin of mine like a week ago, who's her daughter it runs track and, and whatnot. And, you know, their old kids are going back to school and she was asking me what she should eat after her track meets. And I said, go buy some of those Horizon organic little chocolate milk packs and just throw them in her duffel bag. So she can't say she didn't have anything. It'll just be there for it. But chocolate milk is like the age old recovery drink that I think people forget about or don't know about or think is crazy, but it really yeah. is. It's perfect protein, carbohydrate, and you can slam it eight ounces of it in in about 3.4 seconds so <laughs> exactly exactly and you know what uh, if, if i may throw this one in is that people were asked well what's the best thing i can drink before a game when i start to get like my stomach starts to grow and university of nebraska did a study years ago and not meant near years but a few years ago and they they went from like muffins to peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to you know whatever The number one thing that they found out that gets into your system, knocks out the hunger, and you don't really get sick from it, you don't get gas from it, is Carnation Instant Breakfast. Oh, God. Or cans. And they found that it helped up here, and it was able to go ahead and give them that little boost of energy that they needed, the athletes. So that's why I'm always saying that I don't know it all, but I have my hired guns, and there are nutritionists, there are performance guys there, everybody we work with. Everybody brings a certain talent to the game. And I believe that we're the team behind the team because we, our job is to keep the main team running. It's like keeping the act going, the circus, keeping it going and keeping them healthy. And that's the reward for somebody like myself and our team, our medical team, is when we can keep our boys healthy and our man games lost are the lowest in the league. Man games lost is that, for those who don't know, that that's how many injury games people have missed. So if you're leading the league, you may not be around. Them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so they're going to judge you on something. Lindsay, so. Yeah. You want to lead the league in a lot of things, but yeah. not man not games that. lost yeah, the yeah. injury, right? Yeah. 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 Jimmy, do you advocate a particular type of diet with your players? Everybody's different. It's just like working out. Everybody's different. And we have a really good nutritionist that work with our guys. And some guys are vegans and which is great. It's, you know, and, and it's tough. It's tough because we have to make sure that they're getting their proper nutrition and we're spoiled here. We have a, we have two chefs that provide us breakfast, lunch, and if we're home dinner, if we're traveling after a game, right, we'll have our nutritionist order food for us that is nutritionally sound. We also have a lot of players that have food allergies now, and some are, you know, we're in a, like a diet. So we have to cater to just about every type of diet there is. I myself, I know we spoke a little bit about it. I was diagnosed with cancer back in June of this year. And right now they don't have a cure for my type of cancer. And speaking to the doctors up at the Mayo Clinic, they suggested that I find somebody, you know, that I was researching a little bit before I got up to the Mayo. They were asking, you know, about foods that fight inflammation. And this is for anybody. I mean, you know, that everybody who doesn't matter if you're an athlete, a weekend warrior, or somebody who just likes to work out or, you know, somebody who has a strenuous job, you know, and I can attest to it having four kids at home, kids at, at home, bacon calls inflammation in your shoulders back and everything else. But, <laughs> so I, I really changed my diet up and, and it wasn't hard for somebody like myself, but I really knocked out any type of processed meats or foods, any type of sugars. 
And I'm really concentrated on, on the greens, the vegetables, the olive oils, things, uh, fatty fish. And I'm not a big uh, red meat eater and never was. So, And then I went more to an alkaline-based. And again, because research has shown, and obviously it could probably be disputed, but cancer can't live in an alkaline-based blood. So I'm trying to keep my blood in an alkaline level. And it's simple enough to test. But, you know, again, that's from doing everything from, like I said, the greens, the fruits, uh, sweet potatoes, wild rice. So for myself, I look at it for myself. I'm just eating healthier. And even if it's not going to help my cancer, it's going to help my heart. And you know what? And I always look at this is that those of us who have cancer and in a fight, right? We need to be strong. You need to exercise the best you can. I'm not saying go out and run a marathon. I'm just saying get out and walk. Do what you need to do to keep yourself a little bit healthier. Eat right, right? Because even though that I feel healthy, I, I always say to myself, I'm, I'm the healthiest sick guy I know, right? Because I know what's going on inside me. So I have to keep inside me. I have to keep outside me pristine. I got to keep this positive. <laughs> and so eating fruits and vegetables, it's only going to help me. And eating processed foods, it's only going to hinder me. So eliminate it. So processed foods, just for those who don't know, those those are foods that cause your body to be more acidic? Acidic, yeah. Acidic, they may create an inflammatory process, which I don't need because I have an inflammatory process going on. You know, I don't like to use the word cancer because I use the word like cell, dis- cell disorder. My cells have been... Mm-hmm. In some way, it's like aligned, and all I'm trying to do is bring them back into alignment. So I'm trying to do what I can do until the cure made. So, so you mentioned before that you have some players now who are are vegan. That this is a pretty new sort of thing. Have you yourself, in exploring this alkaline diet, have you tried going to a more plant based diet, or is it just that? Is that a function of like if you're going to eat more and more fruits and vegetables, you're going to be going more towards the plant based diet anyway? How does that I, work? That's great because I love plant based food, and you know. I forget what burgers they are because when I always go, I get the meat, but I usually buy like five pounds of this plant-based beef and it's not beef, but it's plant. You can make meatballs with it. You can make uh, pasta gravy with it, you know, hamburgers and it's hundred percent plant. And is that it, the impossible burger? Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's, it is impossible burger. That's, <laughs> that's what this is like impossible meat. Meat. And you, you can get, I was never a big tofu guy, but now this tofu chicken is like, it's unbelievable. Like, so yes, I changed it up that much. So when I go food shopping, right, which I like to do because I, when I go food shopping, I know what I'm going to eat. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've gone that way. Not to say, well, I'm at a restaurant and, they don't have any of that. Okay. Then I look for a fish. And yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you say to the sort of naysayers in the world now who say you can't be a professional athlete and be a vegetarian or a vegan? Now I know that I've interviewed a, a bunch lately of pro athletes who have gone plant-based. So it's clearly possible, but what are the things that you have to kind of focus on as an athlete, if you are going to be going towards a plant-based diet? I think as an athlete, you have to be not better prepared, but maybe yeah, better prepared. I, I suppose, like on the road, you have to better plan out mm-hmm. meals. And if you have a significant other with you, if male or female, doesn't matter, but they're in, involved with you too. Because 
if you were cooking for me and I'm plant-based and you're not, I mean, it's, it's going to cause mix, right? So if we're both in it, or if, like I was saying, our chef's involved with it and our nutritionist is involved with it, then we know that you're going to get your nutritional needs, not just at breakfast and lunch, but we can prepare your dinners for you. And there's so many good, healthy snacks out there. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think and I'm drawing a blank. There was a really good documentary on Netflix about plant-based diets and performance and how those people that were on plant-based diets, their performance went up, their scores went up, their times all got better. Doesn't matter if it's track and field or whatever you're doing, your performance got better. And I'm not saying everybody because we're all different. All right. I'm doing what I'm doing because I've got to do it. You know what? I have else out there for me but other athletes have chosen that because they feel that this is making them a better athlete and you know you ask the question what should they do right i think the athletes that we have they planned very well they planned that they know when we're going on a road trip that the snacks on the plane they may not be vegan type of snacks so they bring their own snacks yeah right and if we're going four hours on the plane five hours on the plane you want a snack yeah. And that, and that also means a potato chip is a vegan snack, but that doesn't mean that that's what vegans should be snacking on. You got to be making sure you're getting some protein and some fiber exactly. and everything in those snacks. I think you could exist as a vegan on potato chips and you know right. baby carrots, but it's probably not the best diet for people. Are there like common diet mistakes that you think the general population makes all the time? I think the cheat day. Because when you have a cheat day, a lot of people say, well, that's my cheat day. And it seems like you have five cheat days and you get on it for two days. But, you know, cheat day, I get it. You're going to have maybe one meal, but the whole day you're consuming in so many calories. You just defeated three or four days of your healthy days. I also believe that I'm not going to blast the diet soda industry, but, you know, that people are thinking that if you're really in tune with your health, research a little bit before you put slop in your body. And because that's what you're doing and really research it. it. There's so many good books out there. There's so many knowledgeable people out there and there's so many good websites you can go to. So research before you put things in, you know, that I get it. You want to cut your calories and I'm a big believer and I've been seeing you drink your water. And I love that. Mm-hmm. What I don't think we drink enough water and I think it's phenomenal. And, but you know what, instead of opening up a diet pop, fill up a glass of water. Or fill up with like you do. And I have mine over there. I have one of those big 50 ounces, right? And I try to drink two and a half of those a day. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I know I'm hydrated because I'm, excuse the language, but I'm peeing like a racehorse. But that's what you want, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you want. And you know what? A hydrated body is a healthier body. And so drinking water instead of drinking a sugary, low-calorie thing with some type of fake sugar in it, it's going to do your body and your mind more justice than putting slop in your body. I say that to people all the time. I'm such a, I'm probably an overhydrator because I think yeah. you probably weigh a little bit more than I do, but I probably also drink about 125 ounces of water a day, which is you know yeah. pretty much my body weight in ounces. Most people, yeah. they say at least drink at least half your body weight in ounces. I'm an athlete. I work out every day. But one of the things I've been doing lately is trying to drink more between my meals as opposed to at my meals, because yes. I feel like it helps me to digest better when I'm not like diluting my digestive enzymes. That's my theory. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's it's smart. And what I what I've learned from my condition is this. 
is that I was a big green tea drinker, right? Just with lemon. And that was it. And during the hot weather, I put it, I make a green tea with lemon. I have a, a little mint garden and I put my fresh in there. But I found out that green tea blocks the absorption of iron. And so they say, do not drink that. It, you can drink it. And I have one glass, that's my treat, a day. One glass of unsweetened green tea with lemon and mint a day, eight ounces. The rest is water. And But I can't afford to, to block my iron absorption. Many of us can't afford to do it, right? Because you need that iron to be absorbed, right, for normal body function. Not just muscles, but everything. Yeah, green tea is very good for you. It's it's oh, an it's antioxidant, true. but you do yeah. have to be careful. There's things that you shouldn't take in combination with other things. There's things that right. need to be taken in combination with other things. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, your body's like a big science experiment. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. That's why I say ask the experts. Yeah. Ask the expert because we're all different. That's what makes this world so unique. We are all different. I do think just one more point I want to make is that if you, you're drinking so much water and I'm drinking so much water and I'm sure the guys on your hockey team are drinking all the time. So they approach a game or a practice kind of already hydrated and don't have to be sucking down water all the time, because not only does that keep your muscles going, there's also so many studies about how even just a one or 2% bit of dehydration can cause a decline in cognitive performance. And you certainly want all your faculties to be about you, whether you're playing a professional hockey game or just driving your car on the interstate or just trying to do your job. So hydration is just so important for yes. everybody. Yep. I agree. It's amazing. Anyway. <laughs> Well, Jimmy, I thank you so much for uh, hopping on the phone with me. And I really, really appreciate it. And best of luck to you with the uh, alkaline diet. You're definitely going to be in my thoughts. I love you. You're the best. And I wish you all the best. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you. It was really, really fun. Thank you. Thanks so much to Jim for joining us today. Be sure to follow the Flyers as they begin the 2021-2022 NHL season with the goal of winning their first Stanley Cup since 1975. Next time on Food of the Gods, we'll talk with Kelsey Gomes, Director of Sports Nutrition for the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Gomes works with all of UNC's varsity teams, providing nutrition education and meal planning for athletes of all shapes and sizes with vastly different backgrounds and dietary needs. Until then, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.